Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you. What are we doing? Exodus. We're finishing Exodus today. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you that we can be here today. Thank you that we can worship you today together. Thank you that we can sit under your word. And, Lord, we choose to do that today, not to sit over your word, but to sit under your word. Lord, I pray for all our hearts to be soft, to be sensitive, to allow you to speak, allow you to change by your word. In your precious and holy name, amen. So we're finishing Exodus, the last six chapters, chapter 35 to 40. I would like to say who read it, but I'm not going to put you in that place. I hope you read it. And if you read it, especially when you read chapter 37 to 39, did you get a bit of deja vu? I've read this. <laughs> and you did. If you go back and look at chapters 24 to 31, Moses is up Mount Sinai and God is telling him the plan. Now, in chapters 37 to 39, he is, they're building it. And it's almost exactly as it is in the plan. And you might think, well, why couldn't God, why couldn't Moses write? Because remember, Moses wrote Exodus. Why couldn't he just say, and they did everything according to plan? Why does he write it again? Why? I want to give you four reasons. And the first one is every word in the Bible is relevant. Every word. If God repeated it, it's not because he forgot that he hadn't already said it. He wanted it to be written. You know, when, in Numbers, many people say, oh, how can you read Numbers? And there's a chapter where he basically tells Moses how the Israelites are to position themselves. He says how many Reubenites there are, and they must be here. How many Simeonites there, and they must be here. And look at this picture. When you take those numbers and you put them in a pictorial form, and you get... That is real! As they're moving, as they tend, what, are the, what do you see from above? The cross of Jesus. That's because you look at the numbers. Every word is relevant. Don't skip stuff. Ask God, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see in this sentence? What do you want me to see in this word? Secondly, we need to be reminded. We forget how easily we forget. And isn't it amazing? Another thing to think about the Israelites, Moses wrote it to the Israelites and obviously for future generations. Who got to get into the Holy of Holies? One man, once a year. No one else ever saw it. But if they picked up Exodus, they could remind themselves what was inside. The holy place, the, before the holy of holies, the lamp and the incense and the table. No one saw it but the priests. But if they read the word, they could say, oh, yeah, 
right the way through generations. It's a reminder. Then do we, I, I, try, I read it, I sort of, I made a little table. I showed my husband, I had a table of all the chapters. It's almost word for word. And the challenge is, with what God says, do we obey to the last detail? Or do we just, well, we summer obeying. Do we obey to the last detail? And the last one, God takes delight when we obey him. Absolute delight. So I hope that encourages you. It's a little bit of a side. Read the word and read it detail for detail. So a few reminders just to context. What is Exodus about? It's about God building a people, establishing a people of his. How does he take them out of Egypt? He takes them out of Egypt by the blood of a lamb. Because the blood was on the doorpost, the blood of the lamb, their firstborn were not killed. Everyone else was killed, all the Egyptians, all the animals, everything. And the Egyptians said, please go. Please go. We don't want anything more to happen. So they got out of Egypt, out of bondage by the blood of a lamb. Moses takes them to Sinai, Mount Sinai. Why? To give them the law and to establish his covenant. And the covenant was a really simple one when you break it down. If you do what I tell you to do, it will go well with you. But if you don't do what I tell you to do, it will be disastrous. And when Moses is up the mountain and he's getting the law on the tablets and he's getting, he's getting the covenant, what happens? What do the people, we learned it last week, what do the people do? They make a golden calf. They sin disastrously, badly. And Moses comes down the mountain and the result of the sin, three things, well, more, but, but basically 3,000 of them, about 3,000 of them immediately are killed by the Levites, dead. Then a plague comes and kills a whole lot more. And then the worst of the worst, the wrath of God, he says, I don't want to go with you anymore. You can go, but I'm not coming with. In Exodus 33, verse 3, he says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Then Moses says, starts talking with God. He goes into the tent and he says, please, God, mercy. Please have mercy on us. He says in verse 34, verse 9, Exodus 34, verse 9, and he said, Moses speaking to the Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he goes up again to Mount Sinai to get the new tablets of stone and to have the covenant reinforced. And when he comes down, that's where we are now in chapter 35, he calls the people. It tells us, the word tells us his face is shining. The glory of God is, is on him, in him. And it says the people were afraid. Why were they afraid? They had sinned. They had messed up badly. 
Here's Moses, a representation of God on earth, and he's shining. They were afraid. The book of Exodus, as we know and as we've learned, is not just a historical record. It, is the, it, it tells us about God. It tells us about his salvation. We are in bondage. We are under the power of sin. And no matter how hard we try to be good, to do nice things, we fail. So God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and shed his blood for me to break the bondage and to break the power of sin once and for all. That is what he has done on the cross. And then we, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we start like the Israelites. I hope you're getting the parallels. And we start a pilgrimage to the promised land. And when we're on this pilgrimage, we're born again, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. What happens? We sin. Every day, we mess up. And guys, sin is bad. It is bad. What does it do? It affects not my status in God. Hear me very carefully. It does not affect my status in God. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. When he looks at me, because I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is my status. But, big but, when I sin, I affect my fellowship with him. I affect my fellowship with him. And I need to restore it. I need to restore it. So what do I do? God, the word tells us his eyes are always upon us. What do I have to do? In my place of shame, in my place of sin, where I'm afraid, how can I come to a holy God? How can I do this? Like the Israelites, we can't look at you. What does God say? Look at me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And what does it mean to look at him? I look at him and I see the cross. And I see the love and mercy that is given to me. And I adjust my life. I look at my sin, I adjust it, and I choose not to sin, and relationship is immediately restored. Immediately restored. So my title for these, that's, a pre, that's the beginning, that's where we are. My title for this is Looking at Jesus. What do we learn from chapters 35 to 40 about looking at Jesus? And the first one is we pick up from where we left off. I love this, you know me. But in the, just before the golden calf, the last word that God is speaking, chapter 31, you can go and check it up. God is speaking to Moses. And the last two things he speaks about is the Sabbath and about the appointment or the, the 
filling of the Holy Spirit on Bezalel and Oliohab. Why they have those names, who knows? But he sa- and he says, I'm going to put my spirit on them. Then they mess up. They, they sin. Moses comes down from the mountain, and I've told you what happens. As you pick up in verse 35, that's what he was speaking about. Huge sin. What is, God, what is Moses' first words? He speaks about the Sabbath and Bezalel and Oliab. God is so gracious. We mess up. But when we ask forgiveness and we put our eyes on Jesus, yes, there is consequence. Israelites died. They suffered a plague. But his purpose for them had not changed. Do you hear that, people? I really feel people need to hear that. You sin, we sin, we suffer consequences, but the purpose of God will prevail. When the prodigal son came back to, to, to the father, he didn't hold a grudge. God doesn't hold a grudge. Well, you've messed up, so you've got to pay penance now. At least three years, and then maybe I'll give you my purpose again. He doesn't do that. He picks up immediately as soon as we turn our eyes on Jesus. Don't hold back. He's got us. What a, what a gracious God. So pick up from where we left off. Then I believe when we turn our eyes on Jesus, we need, word tells us, be generous. Be generous. So Moses says to the people in verse 5 of 35, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring. And then he lists everything, the gold, the silver, the skin, the everything. And then verse 20, if you're with me, chapter 35, verse 20, I'm going to read three verses there. Verse 20 and 21 says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel, how many of them? All, departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. Please note, small s, whose spirit moved him. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Drop down to verse 29. All the men, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. What do we notice? They responded immediately. Why did they have to go back away from Moses? They had to go and get their stuff. Go and get what God had stirred with them. It was a free will offering. They gave it because they wanted to. And did you see in verse 21 where that willingness came from? From a good heart, right with God, and their spirit. Guys, we don't need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, should I be generous? We don't need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be generous. Be generous. Full stop. From your heart and your spirit, be generous. How do you get like that? Looking at Jesus. Looking at him. They gave from a position of love. They'd sinned. They knew God is, he's with us again. He's with us again. And they were generous. And they gave, and they gave, and they gave. They gave what they could. 
I say that gave what they could. Remember in the New Testament where Jesus speaks about the Pharisee who gives loads and loads and loads and the little widow who comes and gives two mites, all she had. It's not about what you give, but I challenge, I'm challenged in my, to the core in myself. Are we generous? Are we giving for the kingdom of God? Are we giving for the work of the kingdom of God. Where can I give? We have Malakanya. We have missions. When people go on missions, you know what? They spend money. Maybe you can't go, but you can be generous. There are so many places to give into the kingdom of God. May we all be challenged to be generous. Look at Jesus. And just, I just love this. In verse 36, verse 6, you can go and look at it. Moses has to tell them to stop. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, your hand stand up and says, guys, please stop giving. I've got nowhere to put it. The bank's full, the things, the stores are full. Please stop giving. How cool is that? Shouldn't it be like that? Shouldn't it be like that? Let us give. How's our generosity? Thirdly, use our gifts. I almost want to say use our talents. I debated on that. But use gifting slash talents. Exodus 35, verse 30 to 34, it says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, remember how he said he'd, spoke, he'd been speaking about him? Now he speaks about him again. See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him, God has filled him with the spirit, capital S, of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship. Why? So he can strut around saying, look at me, I'm the dude with all the talent. No. To devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of, gosh, of the tribe of Dan. Two men, uniquely gifted, called and gifted for a specific task, given everything downloaded by God for what they need. And then 36 verse 2, put that in as well. And Moses called Bezalel and Oliohab and every craftsman, they didn't do it alone, in whose mind the Lord had put skill. And everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. I am of the deep conviction that every single human being, when you are created by God, when it comes together, you come together in your mother's womb, and God, it says God puts his spirit in us. Every human being is given a special gift and a special talent. The question is, what are we using it for? Great singers out there using it to glorify themselves, to make money, etc., etc. God has given every single one of you, me included, a special gift, a unique talent. The question is, are we using it for His glory? That doesn't mean we all have to join the ministry. We all become elder, pastor this and pastor that and pastor that. In your place of work, using your skill, 
Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? May we be stirred as we look at Jesus to use our gifting, our talents for his kingdom. Fourthly, we need to take our eyes off ourselves. Exodus 38 verse 8, he, and that's Bezalel, made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering woman who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So what we remember from when Duan taught us, you went, you came into the, into the courtyard and there was the altar and you made your sacrifice. Think about this in terms of Jesus. So the sacrifice has been made. Then, then they went to the basin and they washed their hands before they went into the holy, before they could come into fellowship with God. We need to be clean. The sacrifice has been done, but we need to be conscious of our sin. We need to be clean. And it's, forgive me, that's it. Not a penance. Secondly, there were these women who were ministering. I looked up that word ministering. It uses it twice in that verse. That word ministering in the Hebrew means to assemble, fight, perform, muster, war. So while Moses was meeting with God in the tent of meeting, the women were praying. These women were interceding, warring for the presence of God. The value of intercession for each other. Then they gave their mirrors. You know what a mirror is? To look at yourself. What is more important? Looking at me or looking at him? Looking at Jesus. And lastly, what would have happened if because they used those mirrors, when the priests looked at, when they washed their hands, what would they see? Themselves. In the basins. There is a time for self-examination. Remember how James says, you foolish man. James, the, the writer in the New Testament, he writes an epistle. He says, you foolish man, when you look at the word and you just go away and you do not change. He says, but when you look at the perfect law and persevere and become doers of the word, not just hearers. So much in that one verse. Isn't it incredible? To take our eyes off ourselves and focus on him, on Jesus. And then the last one, experiencing his fellowship or experience his fellowship. God desires to fellowship with us. He's designed us for fellowship with us. If we're not worshiping God, we are worshiping something. There's nobody on this planet who is not worshiping something. But we are designed to worship God. There's another picture of the tabernacle. Hope you can see that. So there's the courtyard, tents all around, and there's the tabernacle. It's, it's brown. 
It's fairly drab looking. It actually had four layers. The inside, which was sumptuous, purples and blue and scarlet and gold and silver and bronze. Beautiful, sumptuous. Then there was a goat hair layer, which the woman had, had spun. Then there were two layers of skin. So when you looked at it from the outside, pretty drab. But once you'd been inside, oh, wow. Maybe you're looking at fellowship with God. Do I really need it? Do I need it? But once you taste of God, once you get inside, you desire more and more and more. I want to be inside. I want to be in fellowship with my heavenly Father. Do you? Do you? And then what's inside? I mean, Duan did this, but let's look again. There's the ark right in the Holy of Holies, the ark of the covenant. I love it. Um, Michael Eaton calls it the experienced presence of God. The, ex the experienced presence of God. It is where we find rest. It is the highest form of fellowship with God. We don't experience it often, hey? We're anxious. We're, how often can you honestly say, I am totally at rest in God? Desire it. Want it. So before we get there, we're in the holy place. In the holy place, go back to that picture, sorry. And in the holy place, there are three items. In the front there, you can see there's the, there's the altar of incense, there's the light, and there's the table. Those three things show us benefits of fellowship. The table had bread on it, fresh bread every single day. And we eat of that bread. We eat of the word. We spend time in his presence. And what do we get when we eat? We get strength. Do you need strength? Come into fellowship. Look at Jesus. Then there's a light. And that light was always burning. Always, always on. And they put oil in it. It was always, always on. And when we are in, his, in good fellowship with Jesus, we become steady people. We become people who shine his light. We become fruitful for him. And, he, and the oil, Holy Spirit, he's always filling us, filling us. Why? So that because I can't be fruitful, I can't be steady on my own, but by his Holy Spirit, I can shine his light. And the table of incense, the altar of incense, denotes prayer. Duan told us about that. Jesus is at the right. He went into this Holy of Holies. When he died, on the cross, and he rose again. The first thing he had to do was he presented himself in the Holy of Holies in heaven. He presented his blood. And from then on, he is interceding for you and me, day and night. He's offering prayers to the Father. He encourages us to do the same. How's our praying? Are we interceding? Are we interceding for ourselves, for each other? Why? 
would we want to stay outside of his presence? It is a beautiful, wondrous place. It's where we find life. And then, chapter 40. Everything is done. They've made everything. And if you just a little, they go into, Moses goes and actually says, and Moses put the table in place. Moses put the bread on. It's amazing. He, for the first time, from then on the priest stood, but for the first time, Moses sets up the tabernacle. Must have been quite a thing, all the people waiting. And Moses putting everything that's been made in its rightful place. And then in verse 34, of chapter 40, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Hey? And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What was God saying? I've forgiven you. I'm happy with you. I'm going to go with you. And I'm so pleased with what you've made to my specification. And the cloud covered the tabernacle. It concealed it. But whenever they looked, whenever they looked from then on, they saw the cloud. They saw that God was there with them. It protected the tabernacle, the cloud, and it guided them. We have the Holy Spirit. He covers us. He protects us. He guides us. And when people see, they can see God's presence, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit. Hey. Do we desire that? And think of everything I've said today. Please don't, we can't. What we tend to want to do is, oh, we want that. We want the Holy Spirit, but we've not. Oh, you know, I'm just sleeping with a couple of people. Who cares? I'm cheating on my tax. Who cares? I lied yesterday. Who cares? He's a gracious God. No. Yes, God looks at me and sees Jesus' righteousness, not my own. But he expects me to walk in holiness. People of God, are we walking in holiness? Then this is what happens. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Where's the tabernacle today? Who's the tabernacle? We are the tabernacle of God. And the glory will fill us, not my glory, his glory. When? When I'm born again and I am yielding to my God. I am walking a holy life. I am carrying out the gospel of God. That is my purpose. That is what is, is, drives me. The gospel of God. I want that. Do you want the glory of God to fill your temple? People of God, look to Jesus. Keep the cross right there. 